0: Hey, Queers, Cammy here. So a cool thing happened. I got a big job and it requires me to go to Canada for a while to shoot something. And I'm sure you're going to find out soon, maybe even before this is released. But what I came up with with Jordan and Sierra and Matt, who all helped make this show, is that we're going to do some re-releases of some of our favorite episodes from the last year. So this is Alicia Garza who was one of the founders of Black Lives Matter and released a great book. So please enjoy this episode for the first time, if you did, if you missed it, or re-enjoy it. Miss ya! I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. <laughs> now I see you. Hello! Hey, hi, how are you? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's all about little joys right now. I was just totally. telling our engineer jordan that i walked past one of those coin machines where you could put the two coins in and twist the little thing i got a tiny unicorn which is is don't touch anything yeah but (laughs) i did because i just needed to you know what i mean i do i just needed to get a little unicorn
1: i understand Um, (laughs) i do i'm like i do it's the little things
0: you know yeah I always have guests on the podcast
1: introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Alicia Garza. Um, I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I'm in Oakland, California. And I wear a lot of hats and do a lot of things. But today, I'm really excited to be here with you. Yes. I was
0: curious as to how you introduce yourself, actually, because. That seems true that you, I mean, from the outside, it seems like you're doing a lot. And especially, um, I'm imagining that like the last, so let's see, I, my girlfriend works in publishing and Mm -hmm. works at Random House and I went to an event that I'm not even sure if it was like publicly (laughs) open. I don't know. I just, um, it was the one world event that you did, Uh um, In the summer? Yeah. Uh It was like uh height of... It was in the first couple of weeks Mm -hmm. of the Black Lives Matter resurgence of Mm -hmm. protests over the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, Did I look tired? (laughs) No, I was actually going to say the opposite, which is that I was struck by like how, you know, calm and present you were and, um, you know able to answer questions at all, given what I assumed was probably going on for you in your life off of that Zoom at that moment.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad I was poised. Yeah. I mean, you looked good. You looked good as hell. (laughs) Right
0: on. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) But um, can you talk to me a little bit about what was going on in your life this summer?
1: Oh, my gosh. What wasn't going on in my life this summer? Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we started off this year um, in a really different place than where we're ending it. That's for sure. And, you know, from March through May, I was trying to reorient my team around what we were going to be doing in 2020. I mean, we had been preparing for this massive election cycle, knowing that it was the most important election cycle in a generation and making plans that are quite typical to elections, right? So door knocking and canvassing and phone banking and, you know, all those things. And that all got upended in March when it was like everybody's on quarantine, everybody's on lockdown. And we spent really about two and a half months just trying to pivot in a way that um, made sense. And, you know, interestingly, one of the things I'm most proud of this year is our ability to pivot without complete chaos <laughs> and, you know, and talking with, and I, I work in a lot of different organizations and I think a lot of um, the organizations that I work for or with, you know, had a really hard time pivoting because it was really about meeting people's needs and meeting people where they were at, dealing with the fear and anxiety that we all have about change and then also trying to do things that we hadn't done before under really dire circumstances. So I just, I, I enter with all of that just to say that, um, by the time that May rolled around, (laughs) it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't my first rodeo in the first place, but that, moment was like, okay, we have been doing this now for months. (laughs) So if there was a calm that you experienced from me, (laughs) I guarantee you that inside everything was going completely ballistic. But I think one of the things I've learned this year is just how to lean into uncertainty. And it's a muscle that I'm really glad that I'm building right now. Um, I'll also just say quickly that For me, you know, I left Black Lives Matter in 2017 and I left to start the organization that I run now, the Black Futures Lab and the Black to the Future Action Fund, because I just kept having this like needling about wanting to strengthen our ability to really be a player in electoral politics in such a way that doesn't water down our values or our vision. And so in a lot of ways, it was full circle for me to see this resurgence, to know that we'd been there before, to also know that um, this thing that I helped to build lives outside of me now. And so it was a weird place to kind of watch from afar and also be thrown back into the center of it, but know that you know, and I talked to Patrice about this a lot this summer. We both knew that um, we had the tools to deal with it differently this time. The first time, we didn't know what the hell we were doing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have so <laughs> many follow up questions. I have so many follow
1: up questions. Please, <laughs> J- yeah, jump in. Yeah, <laughs> because so so when you're, you because you use the word
0: hour, so when you were saying hour, you're talking about black 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 futures lab. You're That's talking right. about. Uh, Black to the Future. That's right. That's what you're talking about That's in right. your preparation. That's um, right. That you were, um, sort of where you were when lockdown was happening, and That's then right. when the George Floyd protests happened a That's few right. months later. That's um, right. And also, just because I feel that, um, at least this is my impression, and I have no, I'm very curious what your impression is. You know, I think that, um. Because the internet was involved and then also because Mm -hmm. of the recentness of Mm -hmm. the founding of Black Lives Matter. I don't know that we even culturally talk about it as, first of all, an organization and then a set of organizations, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a a hashtag, but Mm -hmm. also that there are humans, Mm -hmm. like that there would be a founder, that there would Mm -hmm. be founders, that there would be people behind it. I know that's something that I was noticing like when LA had this massive sort of pride snafu this mm-hmm. summer, where the pride parade was attempting to just be a bunch of white people that were mm-hmm. saying like this: is, this is like a <laughs> Black Lives Matter event. But <laughs> but now not only were Black people not involved, but also Black Lives Matter, the organization was not involved. <laughs> um, and so I'm I'm just curious if if that is your experience too? Like if people um, not just people in like your sort of social circle, but do people know about if you're to introduce yourself to somebody and say like, you know, this is what I've done. Do you find that that is, I'm assuming also who would introduce themselves and say that, but (laughs) if you were that kind of person, (laughs) you know, um, you know, do you find that people think of this as being a set of humans?
1: You know, it's such a good question. And Black Lives Matter is recent, but it's also not. It's almost been a decade. And it never ceases to surprise me um, how much and how little people know about BLM. So, on the side of how much people know, I mean, this is a global movement. On the side of how less, how the least that people know, yeah, I think in general, our society, is not well versed in the science or the art of how change happens. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we tell fairy tales about social change that um, have us really confused when something presents itself that doesn't fit inside of that fairy tale. And the notion that hashtags could start movements is one of those fairy tales.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, that's that's very well said. I, yes, I, I that's that's kind of exactly you know. I mean, it I'm, just doesn't yeah, happen? Yeah, getting way. to yeah, it, right? Yeah, yes. or
1: that you know, individuals could start a movement. I mean, that also doesn't happen. And you're right, Black Lives Matter is itself an organization. It is also uh, a, a, a umbrella under which many organizations operate. And it has become the marker for what I think is largely considered to be the largest protest movement in history. And um, there are human beings behind it. And I think people forget that too, right? So on a daily basis, I get inquiries about all kinds of things, frankly. And it strikes me that when I'm reading them, and the other person doesn't know that I'm reading them because I don't respond to a lot of things, but um, the you know, when I'm reading them, I'm like, oh, whoever this is um has put this inquiry out into the world and fully expects, right? And it's and in fact demands. Um attention and adherence <laughs> as if right there's you know some uh, multinational corporation behind it that has maybe like a million customer service representatives that are just here to <laughs> here to address like the things that you want or need and it just doesn't work that way and I, I say that with a lot of humility in the sense that what I notice from a lot of the Dialogue and conversation about Black Lives Matter is that people do have a real yearning for change, for understanding, for um, involvement. And it's heartbreaking to not be able to meet all of those needs. And at the same time, a lot of what I spend my time doing and what I spend my time doing in the book is really trying to demystify what change work actually looks like like who is the little man behind the curtain and here's the (laughs) here's the cheat sheet it's not a little man behind the curtain (laughs) (laughs) what is it what if it's not a little man it's tons of women and immigrants and queers and people with disabilities and trans folks and gender nonconforming people and people who have been othered and left out and left behind who are fighting for their lives and they're fighting for yours too you know i i can i can certainly um
0: empathize from i think a very different scale of what you're talking about with you know i'm a I actually am technically a corporation because because, yeah, like okay. you know, uh, that's how because I'm an independent contractor. And after a while, in order to be able to provide this is also like here's some really dumb shit that probably nobody thinks about is, you know, like I'm a stand up comic. But what that actually means is that's that awesome. I have to, like, provide insurance for venues so that they can, like, host me mm-hmm. to be able to then have you know, folks come in and in order to provide insurance, I have, I had to incorporate. So, you know, it's like, there is a corporation. This is true for, you know, anybody who's in the arts or most people who are at the arts at a certain point, because if you're bringing in enough ticket sales, you have to have different protections so you can run through so that, so that people will sell tickets for you so that you can appear places. Right. Um, and so I say all this to say, sometimes I can get a, uh, you know, a piece of feedback or... And it's even even if it's like a very reasonable request or a request that I want to help with. For instance, I was recently doing a show. Somebody asked for an ASL interpreter. Like, do I want to provide that 100%? It also, behind the scenes, looks like me um, asking the venue that I'm partnering with, like, do you know a particular ASL interpreter who's available at that time? And then when they don't, like, literally going to Twitter... Which did help us find this person on this particular show and we'll continue to the, to employ them. Um, but it's not, you know, in my experience, it's, it really is like a, it's like a personal Rolodex that I am building as a human to be able to do um, even the smallest of things that are not global protest movements, mm-hmm. but that are just like random, you know live streamed shows Mm. so i can just imagine scaling that up to the zillion questions that you might even want to provide answers to that um at the other end of that is just like some folks who care about social change and um that you end up being required to be a lot more Mm -hmm. i mean we were just talking before you hopped on this call that like i can barely figure out how to plug this microphone into my computer it's not even hard <laughs> <laughs> it's not even hard. but um <laughs> but you know this kind of brings me back to this idea that that you were wearing a lot of hats mm. right before um can you talk to me a little bit about what, what your life was like
1: before black lives matter before that moment in your life <laughs> i'm like is there <laughs> Is there such a thing? Yes, there is. Um, You know, I've been doing this work for almost 20 years now. And so the major things that have changed um, from 2013 prior is that people know about the work that I do. <laughs> and that lends itself to... Um, A whole bunch of changes that have happened, but the work itself doesn't change. And I think that's important for people to understand. I think for so many folks, again, because of the fairy tales that we tell about movements and social change, um, I I think there's an assumption, right, that Patrice or Opal or myself or anybody who's involved in Black Lives Matter uh, woke up one day and, and decided to protest. And that's actually rarely how things happen. Um, So many of us knew each other prior to the events of 2013, prior to Trayvon Martin's murder uh, and the acquittal, the subsequent acquittal of his murderer um, prior to the murder of Mike Brown and the subsequent acquittal of the officer who murdered him. A lot of us had been doing this work for a long time and doing it in community. And so for me, most of what has changed, like I said, is um, that people know you for the work that you do, that they know the work that you do, that they um, also kind of um, make you uh, a symbol for the work that you do, which is totally totally weird. (laughs) It's super, super weird. Um, but that's the major thing that has changed everything else. Um, I mean, nothing stays the same, but everything else has kind of followed a, a consistent trajectory aside from that. Yeah.
0: I, I hear you. I think then, you know, I would ask if you're like willing to be more, even more specific because it really is that thing of So many people, um, given that it's the largest global protest movement in history, then that has to mean that many people were activated to be in the streets that had not previously been doing this and that they might that you might get sort of um, a group of people who are the scale of how much a part of this is somebody's daily life is really a variable. You know, like there's the person who's going to every protest. There's the person who's going to one. There's the person who's like posting on social media. There's the person who's donating like that just is such a variable. So I don't know for somebody that is making a living and also making a lifestyle out of being an activist. What is the day to day like on that? I think I feel like it's probably a little different now because it's like what you're talking about. There's there's some celebrity or figurehead involved in it but prior to black lives matter the movement when you were when you knew all of these other folks what was your
1: day-to-day like at that time well um let me start off just by saying just to get more specific that um activism is more than protesting and there are a set of people who have been involved in organizing, which I think is also different from activism. And organizing is is working for sustained change over time. And activism can often be a one-time event. It can be engaging in a tactic like a protest or a letter-writing campaign or, you know, um you know, speaking during public comment at a city council meeting. I mean, these are all instances of activism. But organizing actually has a lot to do with building sustained relationships in order to affect sustained change. And when I say that a lot of us have been doing this work for a long time, sure, I've been going to rallies since I was like 12, but that's not the work. Um, For me, the work has been about designing and running campaigns to change laws, to change rules, um, to move money, right? So just to give some examples, uh, I worked for 10 years in an organization in San Francisco called People Organized to Win Employment Rights. And it was an organization that did a lot of anti-gentrification work. It did a lot of economic justice work. And one of the things that we were able to accomplish after a year-long campaign was winning free transportation for young people in San Francisco. That's a law. That's changing a law. Um, and sure, there was protest that was involved in that, but the protest isn't the work, right? The work is changing the law. And I think you're right that for so many people For something like this to become global, you do have to have a lot of people who are coming in at an entry level, at an entry level. And their first engagement with change work is protest. But there always has to be something after that. And there always has to be something in between protests, right? Protests are... Really popular right now because they are the most visible expression of discontent, but they're also the most visible expression of change. But again, I think that sits in the context of the fairy tales that we tell about social change. If we look at the last period of civil rights, um, the most visible manifestations of it are, you know, bus boycotts and uh, lunch counter sit-ins and you know, marches across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, but there was so much work happening in between those moments that actually allowed those moments to be the watersheds that they are. Um, so all of what that means is like running and sustaining organizations. It means designing campaigns. It means, um, lobbying right? And meeting with decision makers. And it means putting forward new proposals and negotiating around those proposals. It means engaging people who are being impacted by a problem, but they're not being consulted about how to change it. And that is all of the work that is happening between those most visible manifestations that most of us see on television um, and perhaps get inspired by
0: I'd like to ask your, I'd like to ask your, I'd like to ask your thoughts on something that, um, I'm curious about, um, as like an offshoot of, of that. It, it really doesn't have any. So one thing that I also. That I felt like I was watching very closely. Um, and I think a lot of people were, um, this summer was the massive change, not just in the size of folks that were in the street, but. And. You know, there's 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 the actual work that's being done and the, the stuff that you're talking about. There's this other thing that I know many people were writing about, um, which was sort of a a. Corporate a change in corporate signaling around um, Black Lives Matter, and it's something that. Also exists uh, in around Pride Month. You know, we I think in the queer community we joke around about it a lot, the like mm-hmm. sort of vodka sponsored
1: mm-hmm.
0: um dudes in Speedos, mm-hmm. and then the like the rainbow filling in Oreos mm-hmm. and things like that. Um for me, I will say as a queer person, when I at watching that growth, because 10 years ago that wasn't really a thing in June. Mm-hmm. Nobody was like putting out their like Pride Month rebox or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck. Mm-hmm. Like just wasn't a thing. And, um, perhaps in the future, we will get to live in a, a society that's set up a different way. But right now we, we live in straight up, you know, capitalism. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that it's like a, I actually see it as a positive, as a net positive, the pressure that then corp. Corporations have to signal something because I think that it creates um, some intolerance around bigotry that like I'm happy to see I'm happy to see some intolerance around bigotry sort of seep into Target and random places like that is that I don't think that's that's not my goal you know on earth is to like change that but I just I find it to be a net positive. I'm curious as to whether. That is also something that you feel, or whether it feels, you know, degrading and disgusting. So, like, is the or something in the middle, you know, it, seeing and I would also put it, it's like beyond like Colin Kaepernick for Nike, you know, but like when it gets to be, um, like this summer, it was, you know, literally any canned soup company or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like it was so, it was so um, everywhere. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I'm curious about like what that felt like for you. Um,
1: well, let me answer the, the, the first question, um, which is how does it feel? And I guess for me, the feeling of it is, what is this for and where is it going? Um, I'm also old enough to remember when pride marches were not sponsored by Smirnoff um, Me or too. whatever other, you know, whatever other corporation. But I think what happens, frankly, is that um, it's rarely just an expression of solidarity it's mostly an expression of where companies think that profits can be made. And that's my very like neutral answer. I don't, I mean, is it good or bad, right or wrong? I think it it really depends. Um, But knowing that tells me something different, which is that there's um, the branding of it, of us, the branding of us, um, often happens with our consent, but without our benefit. And it would mean something different to me if, you know, the branding of a company with Black Lives Matter actually translated into something that made Black Lives Matter, as opposed to that make What a wild thing to say. <laughs>
0: what, a, what an audacious <laughs> idea, right? So, I mean, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, that makes, I guess the other thing that I will say is like, for all that I just said that I think it like, to me looks positive from afar mm-hmm. when I see it for the queer community, I don't go to those, I don't go to the parades. I actually mm-hmm. only go to the like non-corporate pride alternatives just mm-hmm. because that's how I like to spend my time. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I don't feel, uh, like, oh, I'm so seen by s- off, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I absolutely agree that it's not... Like, I also... Substance abuse is a massive issue for mm-hmm. queer folks, so that doesn't feel neutral to me mm-hmm. um, ever. But right. I... I guess I think about it... I, I mean, I truly think about it as, like, the side of it that is shaming straight people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that feels positive to me. Like, mm-hmm. and and I'm not even saying that's, like, a good... What a noble way to feel Um, Mm. because it's like, I don't want the free shots Mm. and I don't care that they're here. Mm. Um, But I don't mind if you have to like, look at a pride flag on your Miller light that you were going to get
1: anyway. Sure. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough. And I think for me, um, I really want, I really want for, us to kind of layer this right in, in a lot of ways, the corporate branding of our movements and pride is a movement, um, does allow for a lot more visibility and a lot more mainstreaming and mainstreaming has positive aspects and it has negative consequences. And I think the same has been true for BLM. Um, Mm -hmm. what I worry about is, the ongoing symbolizing of a movement without the substance. And that's where I think um, the rubber really hits the road. And for this generation in particular, um, I think that that is an important question of our time. How do we continue to expand, right? And not be so comfortable in the, being outside of, and yet also not get too comfortable in the symbolism without the substance. And right. I, I think that's not just facing our movements, but it's it's something that is um, very distinct for this generation. And I think when you and I are 80 years old, God willing, um, you know there will be some resolution to this question and some more questions that emerge from the resolution not to be super postmodern with it but
0: <laughs> no i think that's that's, <laughs> that's what a- i think <laughs> yeah that's i mean that feels very that feels very right um that's absolutely I, you know also i think that um it is really complicated specifically in the case of blm because The goals, um, because the goal of getting somebody to buy like a socially conscious shoe is so far away from, um, ending mass incarceration and changing, you know, access and, generational wealth and like the 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 the, the, (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think that um it's such a widely oh and also not being um unjustly murdered by the police sure that those are goals that feel um think those goals are so like distinctly scary for white people mm-hmm. whereas like that shoe is like not so scary for white people mm-hmm. but i think those goals are really scary for white people mm-hmm.
1: i think that's there's a right. pretty
0: pretty big difference there
1: mm-hmm. i think that's right yeah um how are you as a human right now <laughs> um well, right this very minute as a human, I'm trying to figure out how I'm gonna power through the rest of this day. I woke up super early to be productive and I'm I feel like I'm getting a midday slump, but it's only ten thirty. <laughs> 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 so in my mind I'm Well, like, sink into that slump
0: with us. You yeah, know? Give I, us that give it, us that real so, post lunch.
1: The slump is I have not eaten lunch yet, but I am, I am trying to drink more water in my life and I'm never, I've never been a water drinker at most. I'll drink like a ton of sparkling water, but obviously (laughs) you can't really drink your weight in sparkling water. I mean, you shouldn't. So (laughs) it's a lot of burping. It's just too much burping. So I've had this commitment with myself, see, look at you, where See, this is me. They made me thirsty to speak about this. Yeah. And my well, this is also what I've got cup. going on. Yeah, this is well
0: <laughs> three <Okay>. waters. <laughs> well done. See?
1: Yes. So I, I try to negotiate with myself that I'll stop drinking coffee after 11 a.m. no matter what, even if I've only had a few sips. So that's, that's, that's where my slump is. But I'm also kind of moving into the end of the year. And for... Our team at the Black Futures Lab, um, we are not shutting down as the rest of the country is because there is a U.S. Senate race runoff in Georgia that we are working hard on. So we don't get the break that I would be getting right now until January, early January. So um, I'm balancing what I usually do at this time of the year, which is like, purge cleanse and get ready for the ushering in of a new year and also still being online um and also what the fuck does that mean right now (laughs) because that's all we've been is online so i you know today i'm just kind of grappling with the existential questions but what my plan is is um after my meetings are done today i'm going on a bike ride i've rediscovered my bike that's been sitting in the garage for a year and some change. I've been on the Peloton bike for the last year and loving it, but I have not been out in the world on my bike. So that is going to happen this afternoon. And I'm super stoked about it. I also think the cold drains my energy. I'm, I'm a hot weather girl. So this, this like, cold that gets in your bones and even if you have the heat up to like 75 it just doesn't quite (laughs) it doesn't quite touch you until you're baking right (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i I would add to that that like i feel like i can get one thing
0: done a day and then it is starting to get like dark and that when when there's nowhere to go at night you know Mm -hmm. i i have performed Yeah. In the evening for 20 years or, you know, usually have some sort of social interaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, when it was getting lighter, like when the quarantine was happening, but it was gradually getting lighter, Mm -hmm. that felt very different than quarantine is happening and it's gradually getting darker and darker and like... Literally, what are we supposed to do every single night? I want to go about 6 p.m. slash <laughs> 4.30. I'm truly sometimes eating dinner in the fours. Yeah. I cannot believe this is happening, but it just really is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm getting up super early. But I do feel tired all the time, and I feel... Uh, like, maybe it's even some sort of mild, like, seasonal depression that I am just realizing as I'm speaking to you. Mm-hmm. The, like, needing to get really cozy, like, mm-hmm. just, like really cozy. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: it's, it's, I, like, want to eat a meatball in bed, you know? Yeah, I do. I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, The change the daylight savings time going away is just like fucking up my whole life. And I am a hundred percent, a morning person. I start to lose focus around like four or five, but I can get up early and I like it. Everything's quiet. Your phone's not ringing off the hook, even from the East coast people, even East coast, like gives the West coast some respect at this hour. (laughs) And I, hate this exact time of the year. I'm much better after December 22nd when each day I'm like, oh, it's staying lighter for at least 10 seconds longer. Yeah, (laughs) I feel you. We're just on the upward upward slope here, but we're not there yet, my friend. So no, no, no. It's yeah. What time? What time is your wake up when you say Uh, super early? This morning I was up at Mm 515. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a five or sixer. Yeah, I often like often at sixes. I love I that too. time. It's so good. Even if I'm just laying in bed, I feel like yeah, I'm I'm up to greet the world. You know, mm. mm-hmm. I I truly do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. There's a lot of opportunity, and for some reason, all of that I'm all of that opportunity feels like it. Like if it's eight thirty, I'm like. The day's already gone. But right. um <laughs> like we didn't do it today. And that's the day's right. already
1: gone. <laughs> that's right. That's right.
0: Well, I yeah, I appreciate all of that and I appreciate the you know yeah, water, bike rides. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it is. I live I moved and I live near um I live really close to a public golf course. Oh, nice. And there's a driving range. I bought one shitty golf club, like (laughs) one crappy golf club. (laughs) And I go, at this time that we wake up, I go, I'm like the first person there. There's no one else there. Oh, yeah. And I just hit a bunch of golf balls for no reason in one direction with absolutely no goal and no... So good. There's no no score to keep track of. (laughs) I just... Then I just leave. Also, I look very different than everybody else who uh, goes to this <laughs> golf club because each of them is a dude. There's oh. not
1: one. Each each is a dude. And how are they um, responding to you? Are they like, hmm, are you the specimen, you know, or do I they think just it leave like <laughs> they
0: do kind of leave me be. But there's like there's like some buddies that go, and like because it's a public golf course, not it's not like a snotty. It's not exclusively the snottiest white men you've ever mm. seen although are they there sure mm-hmm. um but it's it's many different types of people but zero absolutely zero um and i'm also always wearing like a hawaiian shirt or something that looks more like i'm <laughs> golfing than when than what they're wearing i can't i think mean, they don't know what to
1: do i can't like, truly. i can't and i shan't <laughs> i shan't i shall not I truly
0: are like all right, well, she. I mean, she, I guess
1: she gets to go. You Whatever. have a lot more patience than I do. I'll just say that. <laughs> Tell me why, because oh of- I, I just, yeah. I think the older I get, the more crotchety I get. And there's mm. just things that I'm like, if I don't have to, I'm not going to. <laughs> and that is an example of things that if I don't have to, I'm not going to.
0: <laughs> well, I'm trying to stay... I'm trying to stay sane um, with outdoor stuff because, Understood. you know, and I, I hear you about, I haven't, I just have not been able to f- figure out a bike situation yet, but I mm-hmm. gave mine up when I moved to LA because I had been a big cyclist in Chicago, but then I moved to LA and it it was like, I felt like I was constantly going to be mm-hmm. um, run down because it's just the tr- the traffic is so aggressive here. Yeah. People drive a very nice sports car very quickly at you. <laughs> um and so i uh I gave that up, and also i um I live with my partner is she has an autoimmune disease that really affects her energy level, mm. so I'm used to sort of like partnering up with like jockey mm-hmm. partners, mm-hmm. and then we like a part of our relationship is that we go do a bunch of stuff together, sure, um, but we. First of all, I will say, katie, my girlfriend is a is actually a big jock. she just doesn't she just doesn't have a bod that works like my bod, yeah, so sure. um, I do a lot of stuff solo or with friends, usually, um, but then now there's this pandemic, and so um. A running buddy, or like going to dance classes. Mm-hmm. I was going to dance classes with a bunch of friends. All that sort of has gone out the window. So yeah, I'm like, what can I do by myself mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is outside? Makes and it's been of fun sense. to try to figure out all the different things that uh, fall in that category. That makes a
1: ton of sense. You are a married person. I am a married person. Uh, let's see what what year are we in? Okay, it's 2020. Uh, we are. Shit, we are twelve years married this year. That is wild. Mm-hmm.
0: We are actually the same age, you and I. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who's uh, older?
1: <laughs> I don't know. When's your birthday? January fourth, nineteen eighty-one. So help.
0: Oh, you're a little older. Wait. I Wait, I'm in October of 81. Okay, so Why I'm a little this... older. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> <sighs> Tell me about the future. <laughs> 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 what do I have to look forward to?
1: Um, you know, well, I'm really looking forward to this book. And yeah. it was such a labor of love. And it's out now. So yes. I'm looking forward to starting the year Reengaging engaging around this book, which is great because we did a whole big push when it came out in October, two weeks before the election, which is a crazy time to <laughs> release a book. I'm really glad we did. And um, after getting a little bit of breath, it's now time to kind of circle around again. So I'm excited about that. But the big thing that's just totally on my mind um, as of late is you know, we're in the middle of a culture war. And, you know, I write about this in the book about how, you know, when I was coming up in the 80s and 90s, we were also in the midst of a culture war. And it was very much about, you know, the moral majority and focus on the family and, you know, all of our, and then the, the, the back and forth, right. Amidst, The HIV and AIDS crisis and, you know, um, all of the different kind of repressions around sexuality and sex and desire and intimacy and then, of course, racism. Right. So we are in another swing like that. And I've just been thinking a lot about, you know, what is the what are the stories that we are going to be telling this decade and thinking about it like a time capsule, right? So in 2030 if people were to pop a time capsule and be like, what the hell was going on <laughs> in this last decade? Um what would they find? So that's that's the one that I'm that's the that's what the future holds for me. That's really, really thinking about that.
0: That's really that's really interesting also because um you and I are both about to enter a new decade of our lives also. Um within the next Here, I'm about to be 40. Um, Yes. And I, uh, I mean, I will just say being cultured female, like even though I'm super gender nonconforming and like, it's not like really, it just, 40 feels like a huge milestone to
1: me. It is a milestone.
0: Yeah. And I I feel that um, in some ways I have been able to create a life and able to I think create some like helpful social change and some helpful community for people, you know? And then I also look at, um, I can always create a bigger goal. That's one of my, Mm -hmm. that's one of the things I'm, I'm really attempting to put down is like Mm -hmm. just take a fucking day, Mm -hmm. my dude. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious about, how do you feel about that, you know, I mean, I have not started a global protest movement, <laughs> um, but I have written a book and, uh, you know, I've launched a career and mm-hmm. I've been married and divorced and mm-hmm. been partnered and, you know, um, I guess looking at what is
1: looking at 40 feel like to you? I didn't know that you had been married and divorced. This is a big deal. I have been married and divorced. Yeah. Talk a big about deal. a milestone, my friend. That is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. Just to say it and have it be said. Um, so I am turning 40 in less than 30 days. And it feels good. It feels good. I, all of my closest, my dearest loves turned 40 before me. And in fact, my partner um probably had the last big party before the pandemic. I threw them a 40th birthday party that oh, wow. was really epic. And I feel really good about it. And um I remember at the time thinking, okay, this time next year it's gonna be my 40th and what do I want to do? And I imagine myself on a beach, like somewhere in the Mediterranean. Um, because that's what I th- think 40 year olds do
0: You're, i mean that
1: <laughs> has been that has been
0: sold to us that speaking <laughs> of fairy tales and lies that have been told to us 40 <laughs> years be 40 no year old be mediterranean that beach. feels like i have been i have been getting pitched that my whole oh, yeah. life
1: i mean even my best girlfriend was over uh last night we do physically distanced backyard hangouts which is really like how do we break up the monotony of being inside the same four walls for days and days and days at a time like sometimes it helps to see new people so anyways you know she was uh talking to me this week and she was saying what are you gonna do for your 40th and i said you know i really imagined myself on a beach with you and all my loved ones and that's not gonna happen and she was kind of trying to convince me how it could happen. But honestly, for the level of warmth that I'm looking for, I could sit in a sauna. I don't want to quarantine for 14 days on either end of a beach trip. That doesn't feel good to me. So, what I'm going into 40 with is a clearer sense of my boundaries, a very um tender heart that knows how to deal with uncertainty in a different way than it did, um, for the previous 40 years. And, um, I'm also going into my 40th year, having accomplished some really big goals that I wasn't sure I'd be able to get to. So I think where I'm at now is just, um, what are the audacious goals that I can set for my next decade? That's a lot of what I'm sitting with and it will probably be me sitting with that by myself in my backyard with a really good bottle of champagne. And I'm fine with that at this point. I'm like, I'd rather be there than in the ICU. And that too is a a blessing.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I moved this year on my birthday, Um, which is also very funny. Well, first of all, happy birthday. Happy birthday in advance. Thank but you. I uh I moved this year on my birthday, which I've been looking. My um my girlfriend and I were living in like a two bedroom apartment, which many people are are still doing that. Um, right. But when all of our jobs became um at home jobs, mm-hmm. I was really thinking like, oh, this relationship is. Is taking a lot That's of right. extra strain. Like, I just don't know. And so, who is looking for some options, you know, like, couldn't afford to buy a house in LA because, wh- because, because it's wh- LA. What right. is happening? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, so it was like, okay, so what, you know, and we really, it's like, it's really important for her to be close to major hospitals, you know, like the things that, and, and um, it's really important to me to be mm. vaguely near where I think there might eventually someday be where I don't know. Anyway, mm. we found this really great option and it really felt like a a magic trick because the person that was was like, yeah, and actually it's available on October 17th. And I was like, that's not a day that anything right. nobody's ever moved on October 17th. Uh-huh. That's, that's, right. not, that's not one of the days. That's um, right. So I knew it was the right thing and. And we snapped it up and I, and I moved on my birthday. And that did feel like, well, congratulations, me. You've really uh, symbolized the fresh start to yourself. <laughs> Pack that's it up. Awesome. Open it up somewhere else. Um, so I wish for you something that's less stressful than moving, but something yes. that does feel like packing up the things that you want to take with you. Getting rid of the things that you don't. Yeah. And then opening up the the new things in a new space. I love that. Yeah, Thank you. You Thank are you. welcome. I'll accept it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your time, and I Thank I want to I ask everybody to shout out a queero, um, which is a person, place, or thing that made mm-hmm. you feel that you can be who you are today.
1: Mm-hmm. Um so I came prepared to do all things Polly Murray because who the fuck would not. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Um, but I am actually, so, and I'm going to shout out, um, one of my first queer teachers, um, whose name is Jane Rhodes. And I believe she's now teaching at the university of Chicago. And in fact, um, A few years ago, she and I ran into each other after I hadn't seen her since probably 1999. (laughs) So, yeah, this was a person who um, really made it okay. And for me, I think um, so much of my experience of being queer was like, it was a very white thing. So it was very powerful to me to have a black queer woman as a teacher um, to hold space in such an incredible way for someone like me. So that's my shout out. In addition to Polly, because why not? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, that's stunning to hear that. I will just say that, um, you know, I have no idea when and if we we will bump into each other again. So I will take advantage of this time to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for the work that you do and for the work that you've done. And it matters so much to me personally that you identify as queer and that you are somebody that's in my community. I mean, that Thank is you. like what you just said, you know, knowing that you are there to do that for a, a global <laughs> movement worth mm-hmm. of other people. is pretty fucking cool. Thank and, you. Um, it makes
1: me I feel very that. proud. Thank you. I appreciate that.